This Friday will be the first day of winter. This Friday will be the shortest day of the year. So that means that today, this Sunday, right now, this is the shortest Sunday of the year so far. That has absolutely no bearing at all on the length of the sermon, I'll warn you. Nothing to do with it at all. But today is the shortest Sunday of the year so far. I got up this morning and it was dark. This afternoon at 4.27 p.m. this afternoon is sundown. It's that time of year where everything just feels wrong. It's dark outside. It's it's dark on the inside sometimes. It's, it's such a difficult time of year. And for some, it is literally a season of sadness, seasonal affected disorder. We, we need our light. We get the winter blues. We are especially mindful of darkness this time of year, even around the holidays. And we know it's difficult for some people. And, and we all feel it from time to time. There are times when the darkness just seems all-consuming to us. It just seems to envelop us. And what is it that gets us through those times? How do we find our way through the darkness? Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And so when we come to the prophecies of the birth of Jesus, when we come to those promises of Christmas, I think it is significant that here, in the midst of the darkest time of the year, we have the promise that light has come. And we're going to look at that promise today from Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah 9 verses 2 through 7. If you've got one of those blue Bibles in front of you, it is page 573, Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Isaiah writing this prophecy some 700 years maybe before the birth of Christ, as we saw last week, two chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, he promises the coming of Emmanuel. A virgin shall give birth to a son, and she shall name the child Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The promise continues in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they, as they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There are a lot of wonderful promises in this passage. Verse 6 has an overwhelming picture of 
of the identity of Jesus. But the first thing I want you to notice is actually the last thing I read. The first thing I want you to notice is that last verse, that last line of verse 7, where it says, the zeal of the Lord of of hosts will do this. First of all, Isaiah calls God the Lord of hosts. If you remember, that's a name we've talked about before. It is a name that is only used when things are darkest, when things seem most impossible. The name Lord of hosts literally means the God of armies. And it's a promise that no matter what has come against you, no matter what problem you are facing, He is bigger. He is the Lord of hosts and He is bringing the big guns to defend you. And then it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will do this. The zeal, His energy, His passion, the all-consuming desire of God Himself is to set you free from the darkness that holds you captive. I need to hear that. You need to hear that. That's, That's not just about Christmas. That's not just a verse we trot out every December and remind ourselves again of of the truth of, of what we're celebrating, the reason for the season. You need to hear this for yourself. You need to hear that God has an answer for your darkness. We go back to verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Just a few weeks ago, we were in our family was in a hotel room in Lincoln, Illinois. And we went to bed that night and, and I had drawn that, that room darkening curtain that they have in all hotel rooms. You know the one I'm talking about? The one that just makes everything pitch black in the middle of the day. It can be completely dark in there. I had drawn that curtain the night before. Went to bed. And sometime in the middle of the night, I woke up for, for reasons. Uh, because I'm old now. And that's something old guys do, right? We get up in the middle of the night and I had to go to another place briefly where the light got turned on. And so when I shut the light off in that room, it was pitch black. And I suddenly realized I didn't know what the layout of the room was. I'd only been here one night. So I'm kind of on my knees, feeling around. I'm feeling the, the edge of the bed. I'm, I'm hoping I don't hit the nightstand because everything's on the nightstand and I don't want to wake anyone up. You think about the physicality of dwelling in a land of, of deep darkness. You think about the, the implications of that. The, the tripping and the falling. The banging your shins against the furniture and, and stumbling and not knowing the way. That's, that's not just about physical darkness that's about the darkness that that consumes us and when that kind of darkness hits whether it's seasonal affected disorder whether it's depression or anxiety or grief you can't find your way out on your own you're going to trip you're going to fall you're going to hurt you're going to hurt yourself and so you look back look back at verse one verse one gives us the background for this promise verse one begins with these words But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. You hear that? There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. You think about anguish. You think about gloom. That's another problem with the darkness right now. It's just gloomy all day long. Sometimes the sun doesn't come out and it's just gloomy. Is it any wonder that we put lights up this time of year and we try to brighten everything up, but 
the problem with the darkness is you can't see the beauty of the world around you. All you see is the gloom and all you experience is anguish. Verse 4, he says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. There's some history there that we don't have time to get into when it comes to the day of Midian, but I want you to hear the weight of this, of this verse. The burden on the shoulders, the, the rod of, of the oppressor. It is way too much for any one of us to carry. That is the darkness. That is the darkness that consumes us. I think about our community. Last week I shared a statistic with you that comes out of the 2010 census report. The 2010 census report for our community, for all of Edgar County actually, says that 57% of the people in our county, 57% of the people in our community claim to have no faith at all. They don't say they're Christians. They don't say they're Methodists. They don't say they're Baptists. They don't say they're Presbyterians. 57% claim no faith at all. They don't say, I was raised Catholic, or we used to go here, and now we don't. 57% say no faith at all. And, and again, that's, that's Kansas. It's not just Kansas. It's, it's all of Edgar County. By the way, Coles County is no better either. Okay? It's just as bad, if not a little bit worse. That's sad. You know, I, I mentioned when I, when I saw that last week, because I went back and checked, and I saw... I saw it wasn't just Kansas, it was all of Edgar County. At first I went, oh, thank goodness. It's not just us. And then I realized that's, that's thousands of people facing eternity without Jesus Christ. That's, that's people we work with, people we go to school with, people we, we, we eat next to in the restaurants, people that we, that we meet in the, in the stores. Thousands of them facing a Christless eternity 57% claiming no faith at all. That's darkness. What is that darkness like for them? How does that darkness consume them? Is it any wonder that drugs and alcohol abuse are, are on the rise in, in our county? Is it any wonder we have all of these problems when there is no light for these people? There is only gloom and there's only anguish. I mean, we care about that, right? We, we care about that, don't we? Give me a nod. Let me know. Yeah. We care about that. We want them to see the great light as well. I mean, that's why that's what Jesus called us to be. He called us to be the light. He called us to carry the light. It's who we're supposed to be. You are the light of the world, he said. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before others so they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God has an answer to the darkness in Edgar County, and the answer is you and me. The answer is us. He's placed us here to be the light, to carry our promise to our world, to carry our promise for everyone. God wants our neighbors to know His promise. He wants us all to know victory through Him. There's one verse that we're always sure to read here in this passage. There's one verse we're always sure to read here when, when Christmas comes around. It's the most obvious one. It's, it's verse 6. Verse 6 says, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And we read that and we go, ha, that's Jesus. I recognize Him. That's Him right there. That's the promise of Jesus. And immediately, the images come to our mind 
images like what we find, well, like, like what we find right here, the nativity. You know, we, we come to, we have images like this. We think about Mary, we think about Joseph, we think about, we think about the camels for some reason, uh, we think about the angel, we think about, we think about the star, we think about all that, but, but you realize it's not just about that. This promise is not just about what happened to them, what happened then. It's about what happens to you and me. It's about what Jesus brings for us, the victory that we know through Him. Verse 6 goes on and says, And the government shall be upon His shoulder. And I feel like I have to stop right there because when you hear the word government, I don't know what you're thinking about. <laughs> and we probably need to clarify what government is all about here. He's not talking about politics, okay? He's not talking about democracy or, or any political system. He is talking about ultimate authority. And he is saying the system of this world, as broken as it is, as dark as it is, it does not have final say on your life. It does not get to rule you. To us, a child is born. If you remember back in verse Four, it talked about the yoke of his burden. It talked about the staff on his shoulders, that, that weight that just beats us down. Where's the government in verse 6? It's on his shoulders. In other words, he's carrying the burden for us. And then we have these four amazing titles in verse 6. Four amazing titles given to Jesus. Four amazing titles that tell you exactly who he is and exactly what you need. He says he is the wonderful counselor. Some of us have some, some wonderful counselors. We have people that we go to and we, we talk to when we're going through difficult times. I've, I've got wonderful counselors. I hope you've got some wonderful counselors. When, you're, when that darkness comes in your life, you need somebody to talk to. You need a, a person to be a friend and to, someone who's going to tell you the truth and help you find your way through that. You realize Isaiah is not talking, when Isaiah talks about a wonderful counselor, he's not talking about a psychiatrist, psychologist, he's not talking about that kind of counselor. Isaiah, in, in that setting, he's talking about a war counselor. He's talking about a, stra a strategist, strategician, let's say that word, okay? Someone that the king would go to and say, how can I overcome this, uh, this enemy? How am I going to defeat this army? And this war counselor would determine how many how many soldiers the king had, how many armaments he needs, how many weapons he needs, what's the other guy bringing against him, what is it going to take for you to win this battle? That's the kind of counselor that Jesus is, a, a, a counselor that, cons that consoles us or counsels us for victory, to, to overcome the battle. And then he tells us who else he is. He tells us he is wonderful counselor, and then he reminds us he is mighty God. We saw that back in chapter 7. He, a virgin will give birth to a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He is mighty God. And then he says, he is everlasting father. My, my oldest daughter called me this week and she said, I finished the paperwork. I got my name changed. My daughter is no longer Megan Hammond. She is now Megan Flanagan. 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 She's Irish now, apparently. I don't know. And that's a happy moment. But it's also one of those moments you're like, I don't have that connection. I don't have that name connection anymore. That something's changed in our relationship. She's somebody else's problem now, right? Maybe. 
But Jesus is our everlasting Father. You don't get to change your name. He's not going to change His name. That relationship never ends. It never changes. In the way that He's always been with us, He will continue to care for us. He will continue to guide us. He will continue to be our everlasting Father. You hear that. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And then Prince of Peace. Listen to that one at the other end of of Wonderful Counselor. The Wonderful Counselor who counsels the King for war to bring victory. But then who is He at the end? He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who not only ensures victory, but but he brings peace. Victory is servant. Victory is certain, and with victory over the darkness, there is peace. Every every victory you need is found in Jesus. And what you especially can't miss is that his promise to you is forever. You know these titles in verse six: Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince and Prince of Peace. Those are not honorary titles. They aren't flattery. That is exactly who Jesus is. And since Jesus never changes, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those promises, those titles never change. They never expire. And we get to verse 7 and He says, of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end. It should be very obvious we're not talking about human government when He says that. It should be very obvious we're not talking about world peace. We're talking about the peace that passes all understanding. The peace that you and I are promised. Talking about the the darkness that we know and the victory that we can know over that darkness. Darkness takes takes all kinds of shapes. Darkness comes in in all different sizes. Darkness comes with, with different diagnoses. And at times... The darkness can be overwhelming. Our friends Paul and, and Joy Honnold have, have experienced a, a type of darkness in their lives in the form of a, of a very difficult cancer diagnosis. And yet what I love about Paul and Joy is they've done exactly what you knew they would do. They've approached it with, with faith. They've approached it with a view of Jesus as their wonderful counselor, as their prince of peace. And I've asked them to come and share just a little bit this morning with us. This is why I warned you the sermon wouldn't be any shorter. <laughs> I've asked them to come and share just a little bit about what this has been like. Because I, I love your honesty in the midst of all of this. And I love the way you've both approached this. Um, so, when you first got the diagnosis, um, I think most everybody knows, uh, we've shared several times, mm-hmm. but when you first got the diagnosis, you had rules on how you were going to approach this. And I want you to share the rules. And how have those rules helped you? Well, um, a lot of our nonsense issues have just disappeared. I was the type that would keep a jobs list. I had to have a jobs list at the farm and in town. And the jobs list just has disappeared into space someplace. I don't care one thing about it. Um, we told our kids early on that we didn't want any long faces, at least when they come and visit and when they leave, no long faces. We've had our serious talks. We've had uh, discussions with both boys. We've been down to Georgia to talk to Mike and his family. 
And uh, I have what's called mesothelioma. And uh, mesothelioma is a pretty serious cancer. And uh, very few get it, but I'm lucky enough to get it, I guess you would say. But some of the issues that really hit me early on that I might not see were great-grandchildren. I might not see marriage of, of grandchildren. And that troubled me for a while. Um, we've had, been on many, many trips, and we're probably done with our big trips that we've been on. And uh, on those on those trips, you've met some interesting people. Yeah, and yeah. you get. I want you to share a little bit. Um, I will. You're a missionary to hospitals now. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I am. But um, th those things have just faded into uh, oblivion. I just because Joy and I are actually calling it our blessing. It really is. It might be hard for some of you to understand unless you've had it in your family and um, you see the good things when something like this comes up and I asked Nancy Carey on this morning and I said I'm fearful as this develops if I don't get a miraculous healing if I don't get a divine setback or maybe if men can help me uh, we're facing uh, heaven or health and um, we would at this point like to have health in our family but um, right now we're being very very um, astute about knowing that it could be either way in our lives and, and we're fine with it um, you asked me about people I'm witnessing to and uh, I gotta give these folks a little background Brett knows my uh, history I've shared with him. He, he wasn't a Harmony kid like Shirley was, but uh, Shirley and I were church kids growing up at Harmony. That's a church out north of Kansas. Uh, it's not there anymore. The cemetery is. And honestly, from age 8 or 10, I was drugged around to all kinds of Billy Graham meetings and Oral Robert meetings. I was in the big Oral Roberts tent, I don't know how many times. I've been on the campus down at Tulsa. But I never did think I had a wild testimony. I was always hiding my faith because I thought, well, I haven't been a drinker, I haven't been a gambler, I haven't caroused around with any women but one. I've, I've had my problems, but, you know, I've tried to be a little bit better every day. We aren't going to be perfect, but I tried to be just slightly better every day, not perfect. And from that, it, it's so freeing now. Nobody will hit a guy when you have cancer, I've decided. I, I've been talking to some of my kind of roughneck friends around Kansas, good guys, but I just, you know, worry about their salvation. And to a person, they have been so agreeable with what I say. I apologize when I get done, but they said it's okay. One, in fact, says keep talking, and we have prayer every so often when we get together. 
One is really surprising how he has acknowledged his faith. No long faces over there, Matt. <laughs> how, um, how he's acknowledged Christ in his life. But even in the hospital, uh, we would have these 12-hour shift RNs and 12-hour LPNs. And I couldn't sleep a wink when I was in the hospital up there. I wasn't in pain or anything, but I just am a poor sleeper. And this one in particular would come in. Um, here's my lust coming out, guys. She was the most beautiful young RN, probably 35 years old, dark hair, dark skin. And she knew I wasn't sleeping one morning about 4 o'clock. And she came in and she says, what's going on, Paul? And I said, well, I just, you know, can't sleep. That's just me. And so I talked to her about her faith. I said, do you have faith? And she said, well, I'm Greek Orthodox. Well, Joy and I know something about Russian Orthodox. And they're, you know, of the many same beliefs we are. And uh, she says, I have trouble with denominations. These young people have terrible issues with denominations. Why are there so many? Why do we have to have so many? It doesn't make sense. We all worship the same God. We all worship the same Jesus. And uh, I asked her, and this is from my Methodist bringing up again, Shirley, and a few others I know, Webbs, and, but we almost every Sunday either said the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed in church. And I said, do you know either one of those creeds? And she said, I sure do. I said, well, that's a statement of faith for most Protestant Catholic churches, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. And she said, I know, I recognize it. And if you believe in that, you're, you're almost home because you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that's the main thing, to trust in Him. So, yes, I've, I've gotten a lot of courage with my testimony, Brett, and uh, I haven't gotten one punch in my face yet. Punch. Well, you keep talking here today. <laughs> uh, I'll talk long, and then yeah. I'll get a punch. Short of standing. Uh, so, Joy, Paul wanted me to throw this at you. In the passage we looked at today, uh, we see Jesus referred to as our Prince of Peace. Uh, with everything you guys have faced, and you as his, as his joy, uh, what does Prince of Peace look like now? Okay. Prince of Peace. I have that, um, a little magnet on my refrigerator that was given to me by my sister in 1987 when I was baptized became a Christian, took Jesus into my heart, and it says, he is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. And I've had that there for since 1987, uh, when Paul and I years ago had our uh, bench put out at the cemetery by his parents' stone, that was the verse we had engraved on it. He is our peace, and he is totally our peace. I look out now and see the faces that have experienced his peace, and uh, sometimes it comes with tragedy, it comes with sorrow, but it's there. And it's given us a strength, and that strength is just, it's awesome. Um, I envision the Prince of Peace holding Paul 
in a chair in his arms as Paul held James, our new grandson, back in October when we had just learned about his diagnosis. And there's nothing that's more comforting than that. And um, faces out there know what I'm saying uh, in different ways, in different means. And as we go on with this, Paul is, I'll say it publicly, he is afraid that we, what will happen to the boys and myself, you know, if he can't make it through this. And we have victory. We have the Prince of Peace. He does not need to worry. Thank you. Paul, you wanted to share about yeah, prayer? Was, yeah. Um, I was going to ask all of you, you're, you're probably wondering, I know when I used to be an elder and I'd go visit, and Brett learned this from me maybe, you gave me credit once for it at least, <laughs> and Brett asked me, he says, uh, how do you handle prayer with sick people? And I say, well, I always just ask them what they need. And so I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to wait for you to ask, I'm going to tell you what I need. And... Um, I frankly would like, I would covet prayers, of course, for health, for divine healing, even a remission. You know, that's number one on my list. But if it's not that way and it develops, I'd like for you to pray that we still have this sense of quiet in our lives. Um, the good Lord has given us not only a spiritual help, he's given us a physical help. Um, just a side note, I was out at the machine shed a couple of weeks ago when I was feeling good, and I hadn't put my big loader on the tractor, and I thought, I can do this. And usually it takes me about an hour, and bread it only took me a half hour to get the four big bolts in, use a tapered punch to line everything up, get the hydraulics lined up to the the plate and i just know the good jesus christ was there helping me and uh, it might be hard for some of you to accept but one of these men i talked to on the street the other day right here in kansas i said you have to accept christ as your personal savior as a child you can't accept christ as an adult when we're adults, we expect for something this great, a gift, holy life, eternal life, we expect that to be something besides free or it's fake. And join and I are testimony that's not fake, folks. It, it's something true and real in our lives, and you have to accept it as a child, as the Bible says and accept it. Do a 180 in your lives if you have to. I, I've had to do 180s in some of, the, some of my habits and things maybe I shouldn't have been doing, but I've tried to always improve, and that's your responsibility to improve, read your Bible, pray, and when something like this comes up, guys, you'll have a hopefully a faith there that you can hang on to, because sometimes that's the only thing you got. And right now with Join Me, this is all we have. And uh, we have a lot of trips back to Chicago, we have a lot of chemo, we have a lot of tough weeks ahead of us. This week was tough, but I'm having a good day today. So, Brett, thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah. So much.
Give him, a, give him a little hand here. Thank him for sharing. We're going to pray in just a little bit. I'm going to close out with prayer, but you guys can go ahead. Yeah, you know, someday, someday I would like to be a, I've said before, someday I want to be a sweet little old man, and Trish reminds me that I need to start now. It's kind of a little late to start, but that, that you, you basically, you spend your life banking faith, don't you? You spend your life putting it in there. And in that moment, when that worst day ever hits, you've got something to rely on. There's an important lesson there. Don't, don't try to start that when the bad times hit. You start that now. You, you get that ready now. Um, and the fact is, there, there's going to be darkness in every life. Darkness is, is inevitable. Every one of us is going to face a season of darkness. There might be a diagnosis of darkness. There might be long periods of darkness. But the promise of Jesus is the darkness does not own us. The darkness does not govern us. Rather, that through Jesus, God has sent the very light that we need. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And so whatever, whatever your darkness today, whatever it is that you're facing, what I want you to hear today is this. God wants you to have victory over that darkness. Darkness may be inevitable, but God's victory is unstoppable. The darkness may be inevitable, but the victory from Jesus is unstoppable. Listen to verse 7 again. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You hear those last three words? Say those last three words with me. Will do this. One more time. Will do this. There's no question. There's no maybe. There's no, well, that might work for you, but that just doesn't work for me. I, I just don't believe that way. There's no doubt He will do this. Whatever the darkness you're facing today, God wants you to have victory over it. He doesn't want you to face it alone. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He has given us Himself. He's given us each other. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we, we do live in a dark world. Lord, we, we look at those statistics 57% of the people in our world, in our, in our community, that have no faith at all, I thank You. <laughs> I thank You that in the midst of, of the darkness that Paul and Joy have experienced, that You've given Paul the, the heart that goes out and shares his faith with, with others. Lord, that, that is beautiful. That is remarkable. That is, that is honoring You. And that is, Lord, that, that's just such a wonderful thing. There are times when the darkness hits us all. And it hurts. And we can't find our way through it on our own. And, and in those times, the promise comes back of people in darkness have seen a great light. We thank You for the light that we have through Jesus Christ. We thank You for the Christmas story. But we thank You even more that when the darkness comes close to us, You are there. You do not leave us alone or without promise of victory. I thank You for the, the victory that Paul and Joy already know. Lord, no matter the outcome, there is already victory. And I thank You for that. We continue to seek healing. We continue to seek wholeness. Lord, we'll take remission. We'll take miraculous healing. Whatever we can, we can get. But Father, we will thank You no matter what for the victory that You've already given us through Your Son, Jesus. And for the rest of my friends here today, whatever the darkness they feel, let them know the truth of that victory. In Your love and in Your zeal, You bring light to the victory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.